wow, I got like four minutes. <laughs> um, I'm going to take more than that. Um, okay, rearrange everything in my head. We're in a series right now um, called uh, uh, Everyday Life in the Kingdom. And so uh, I encourage you to go on the website, indyvineyard.org, if you want to hear other messages. I, I, I spent a lot of time through the weeks setting up the series. So this, just very briefly, as we look at what it, li- what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God, we've given a definition, I think a biblical definition, of the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of Jesus. His power and his authority in action. Everywhere that Jesus rules and reigns, in your own life, in your household, where you work, to the extent that he rules and reigns uh, in the world, the kingdom of God has come. And we've said consistently, the first coming of Jesus was the inauguration of God's kingdom, his rule and reign. And so the kingdom of God descended and came to earth in the person of Christ. When he comes the second time, that kingdom will come in its fullness. And so what's happening to us, the context for our life, our victories and our struggles, the holiness that we see and the sin that peeks in sometimes, that gold and that sort of dust and stuff around us that needs to be refined is this, that we live between the times. The kingdom of God has come, but it's not fully here. It's here, and it's not yet here. It's here, but it's partially here. And what we're praying for as a people is the increase of the kingdom of God in, on, and through our lives. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, that's what we're looking for. That's how God's will gets done on the earth, through a people who are repeatedly and increasingly giving themselves body, soul, and spirit to the rule and the reign of Christ. And the kingdom of God goes forward every every place that he does that. The kingdom of God goes forward in every place and in every time when we freely, willingly, by faith, submit ourselves to the king to have his ways and do his work in our lives. That's how the kingdom goes forward. Every morning when you wake up and you say, Lord Jesus, take it all. Rule and reign. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. Speak your words, I'll hear them and I'll, and I'll give them out. Empower me and I'll serve the world. The, the kingdom of God expands. I mean, it's, it sounds maybe simplistic, but it's reality. You bear the kingdom of God into the world. Isn't that an awesome privilege? And an incredible responsibility that we take the presence of God everywhere we go. I think so. (laughs) So, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, but it has impact on our physical presence, on our physical place, on our home, on our bodies, on our wallets, and our purses, and our... I don't carry a purse anymore. (laughs) Gave that up some time ago. Uh, And our stock portfolios and our piggy banks if the kingdom of God the rule and the reign of God has not touched your wallet or purse or stock portfolio or piggy bank then the kingdom of God has not completely consumed your own heart it's just reality the kingdom of God is 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 a spiritual reality that has its impact in a physical place and that includes our wealth and our resources so here's the question before we read a text this morning Here's my question for you. Are you willing this morning to hear what Jesus would say to you in his love 
about your wealth and your resources. I'm not going to tell you what he says to you about your wealth and resources. But I'm going to ask you to open your heart to hear the words and the voice of Jesus to you about what it is that he's given you, what you have, your money, your house, your gifts, your talents, your stuff, your time, your relationships. All right, let's read the Bible. Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 17. If you have a Bible, turn to it. I'm going to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes there. If not, you can read it on the screen. This is um, Jesus encountering uh, a man, and he puts a he he he, uh, he 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 pricks his heart about his stuff. Speaking of Jesus, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery." Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, just just plant these two words as a context for the, the rest of the message. Jesus looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's just a tiny bit of context here, because we haven't been through every story in the Gospel of Mark. Right before this, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and those listening, and this is what he says. He says, uh, if anyone doesn't enter the kingdom of God with the faith of a little child, he won't inherit the kingdom. In other words, Jesus has just said the way to access the kingdom of God is childlike faith. Jesus has just clearly communicated by saying this to his disciples. It's not your wealth or your wisdom or your diligence or your brilliance or your power or anything that gives you access into the kingdom. It's what? It's your childlike faith. Because the kingdom of God isn't earned, it's received. That's the context for Jesus dealing with this guy who comes to him seemingly uh, wanting to inquire. I mean, it, it seems like he's got a good heart. Good teacher, he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I mean, maybe you read it differently, but to me, Jesus just seems a little bit harsh. I mean, really, it sounds like the guy really wants the real deal. And Jesus starts off right off the bat. Why do you call me good? Don't you know that only that you know goodness is reserved for God alone? I think what is Jesus saying I'm not really good? No, not at all. I think what Jesus is saying is listen buddy. <laughs> this is a paraphrase, all right? Listen pal. <laughs> you probably think you're pretty good because you've got a long line of obedience in a lot in a lot of places and you're coming to me and saying I'm good. In other words, you're saying you have a word from God. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you really want to hear the word from God, be prepared for the implications of truth. I think when Jesus says, why do you call me good? It's only God. He's saying, you want to hear from God? (laughs) Are you ready for the implications? And Jesus goes on to speak to him. Man says, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. Isn't that, I mean, just in English, isn't that just an odd thing for the guy to say? What if you went to your father, who was a billionaire? Are there any Gates family members in here? What if you went to your father, who was a billionaire, and you said, Father, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't it kind of a, that the words don't go together. You don't inherit something because of something that you do. You inherit something because of who you are. I mean, it, it just makes sense. And here's this guy saying, I've got a long line of obedience, got all, you know, all the good stuff covered. What do I do so that I can be given the gift of eternal life? And the two don't go together at all. I mean, this is, this is the Lord speaking to him. This is the Lord speaking to us. You don't get eternal life because of what you do. You get eternal life because of who you are. I'm on this theme. I understand that. But it's the person of Christ in you who makes you a new creation. And God looks down and he says, eternal life comes to you because by faith you receive the grace of the kingdom of God in your life. You can't earn your way in and you can't sin your way out. That's radical grace from God. And Jesus speaks to this man when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts going through all the commands. Five of the Ten Commandments actually adds another one in from another part in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think Jesus puts out the commands in order to say again, what you do uh, gets you eternal life. I don't think that's the point at all. I think what Jesus says is he's just speaking to the man in kind. The man comes to him and says, got the track record. What's the next thing I can tick off so I get eternal life? And Jesus just speaks to the heart of the issue. Okay, gives all the commands. Just kind of, he's setting the guy up. You, you ever feel like God's setting you up? <laughs> yeah, don't answer. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> I just feel it sometimes, I guess. He's setting the guy up. So he goes through the commands and, and he says, oh, I've got those covered. I've done every one. It's like he's saying, what's next? Give me the next one. I'm good at this. And then the scripture says that Jesus, <clears throat> looking at him, two words, loved him. He's about to rattle this guy's cage and challenge the very source of his comfort in life. He's about to send this guy a zinger. And the scripture says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Then he says, oh, there's just this one thing. You just lack this one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I just want to uh, take a little diversion right there because he, this guy's getting a hard word from God, right? A hard word, a, a cage-rattling, life-altering, spirit-rumbling word. And God consistently wants to speak to us just exactly words like that. I mean, think about that thing that the Lord's told you that's the hardest place of obedience for you. That the most challenging invitation of the Lord, whatever that place is in your life, if you can remember that the context of every command and every invitation of God to you is love. Every time Jesus speaks a command, every time God issues an invitation to you, the heart of it is love. Doesn't that change the way we think of what God says to us? Here's my challenge to you. Don't read the Bible. Don't stop the tape right there. 
don't read the Bible, don't listen to God, don't listen to a message, don't go into a devotional without this uh, lens, this filter, this focus upon God's love for you. Because every command he issues is a, is a command or an invitation issued from a heart of love. Doesn't that change the way we listen to God? You know, Jesus says, so a man and a woman, they should leave father and mother and cleave together and become one. And what God's put together, let no one separate, right? Well, who knows? It's kind of hard if you've been cleaving for a while and that person's not doing what you like. You kind of want to separate sometimes. And Jesus says, no, nobody else. That's a hard command, but it comes from a heart of love. You imagine yourself... God comes to you and he says, there's a relationship I want to talk to you about. It's a relationship with food. It's a relationship with uh, media. It's a relationship with a person. It's a relationship with your stuff, whatever. And God speaks to you about it. Remember that if you hear a hard word from God and it rattles your cage, it's coming from the one who loves you. It changes the way we listen to God because it comes from a heart of love. Jesus looked at him. He loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And, and come follow me. I think what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to follow me, you'll have to get rid of this thing that's become an idol and a hindrance to you doing that. Follow me is the real instruction there. Give everything away is the way to discipleship. It's like Jesus is saying, you're going to follow me. That's what you really want. You want you want the eternal life. You want the kingdom of God. You want to hang with me now and forever. He said, all the commandments that you have kept, that's good. But you lack this one thing. You've got an idol in your life and it's your stuff. You've got a hindrance from following me. And unfortunately, Jesus to this man says, all that stuff won't make it through the access door of the kingdom. Because I need a single focus. His stuff was an idol. Is it possible for any of us this morning that our wealth, our resources, our stuff have become idols to us? An idol is anything that you elevate above Jesus. Anything that takes your uh, focus off of God and distracts you, that's an idol. You know, it's interesting because an idol, almost by definition, has no power. It's powerless. Except for the power that we give to it. I mean, if... If, I, if we were to begin to worship this cup, this was our new God. Okay, this is not where we're headed as a church. <clears throat> if we're about to worship this cup, this cup clearly has no power. Except for the power that we would give it if we would come up and bow before it. And start trying to listen to it to hear what we're supposed to do. Right? And crazy stuff starts happening. This has no power. Your wealth, your resources, your giftings. Those things that you take comfort in, that you hang on to, they have no power unless you give them power. And to break down an idol just says, God, anything that's gotten above you, I'm putting down to its rightful place. Anything that's going to take my heart, my focus, my vision off of you, I'm just going to put down to its rightful place. And that's what Jesus is dealing with with this guy. He's going straight to the heart because he knows that what's hindering the discipleship of this man is his stuff, his wealth. And so he says, you lack this one thing. I don't think that he's saying 
if you give all of your stuff, then you earn your way to salvation. Remember the context, faith like a child. Remember the commands. Oh, that's good, but here's this one thing. It's about his heart. It's about this man's heart. What has his heart? I just wonder, if Jesus walked in physically, he is here present among us, but if he walked in physically, and we had a little powwow with him, each one of us, what would Jesus, in his love, say to us about our wealth, about our resources, about the abundance, relatively speaking, that we all live in? What would he say? Jesus isn't saying, you give and then you'll get heaven. You'll, you'll get heaven as a result. No. When we give, we earn rewards in heaven. That's a reality. Nothing wrong with that motivation. It's just we don't get there by giving everything away. Here's the funny paradox. Jesus uh, makes a radical statement. You know, you just got this one thing. Sell it all and give it away to the poor. And then come follow me. Radical discipleship. Did you ever notice that in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of incremental discipleship in his language? Do you ever notice that? Jesus doesn't say, love just a little bit more. Give just a little bit more. Obey just a little bit more, and little by little we'll get there. I'm not saying it can't work that way. I'm just saying Jesus doesn't say it. He, he just says, love with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Question, what's left? Right. He just says, not give a little, but give everything. Your whole heart, your whole being, everything submitted to him. Everything belongs to him anyway. We're just acknowledging his kingship when we say it's all yours. I give it, I give it all. He doesn't say obey just a little bit more. He says obey to the point of death. I mean, he's radical. Jesus to a sinner doesn't say, you just need a little bit of a religious correction. And I'm pretty sure you'll angle your way in. What does he say? You've got to be born again. We need to start all over. Jesus says, you, you love your life, you lose it. You lose your life for my sake, you get it. I mean, that's, that's discipleship Jesus style. Anybody heard of that book, Radical? There's a book that's kind of moving around it's about radical, you know. I was talking to a, a, a pastor I highly respect. He said, it's a great book. It's just got a bad title. It shouldn't be called Radical, all these amazing things that people do for Jesus. It should be called Normal. And now I really don't want to read the book. <laughs> the reality is Jesus doesn't talk about incremental discipleship. He just says, I gave everything for you. Salvation is free. It only costs you your whole life. He said, I just want everything. That's all. What's hindering your discipleship today? What's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God in your life? Is there anything that's elevated above God? I mean, this, that's, a, um, that's a rhetorical question, all right? But something's probably resounding in your own spirit. So we just come willingly, joyfully, freely, with faith to God and say, God, I really want the kingdom. I really want the kingdom of God in, through my life. What's hindering me? What would Jesus say to you in his love about your money, your, your wealth, your resources? And the scripture says that the man walked away and he was sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff.
Why was he sad? Why was he sad? Was he sad because he lost all his stuff? I don't think so, because I don't think he did it. I mean, I suppose there's a chance he was sad because he was going to go do it. We just never hear that. And the rest of the context seems to indicate it didn't happen. So why was he sad? Was he sad because, darn, I don't get eternal life now? Maybe. Here's what I would propose to you. He walked away sorrowful. He walked away sad because he went to Jesus and said, I want it all. And Jesus said, you don't get it all. He went, he went to Jesus and he said, I want all my wealth and I want the kingdom of God. I want comfort now and I want security forever. And Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. And I think he walked away sad because what he really wanted was the perfect combo meal. He wanted the whole thing. And Jesus said, no, I'm just going to give you the true food. And that's me. Nothing else. You don't get to bring your stuff with me. Goes on in the rest of the context to say how difficult it is for a wealthy person to go through to get into the kingdom of God. In other words, the, the, the door's small, the gate's narrow. You've got to get rid of everything to get in there. Now, who knows what Jesus gives on the other side of that door? We don't get to see it. He didn't get to see what would happen if he did sell it all and then walk with Jesus. What would that be like? Later on in the passage, we're not going to read it, but Jesus said, there's no one who's given up all these things who doesn't receive houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and all this stuff in this age and in the age to come. But unfortunately, that guy didn't get to hear that part because he'd already walked away sad. He'd already decided that my comfort in this world is more important than the kingdom here and forever. That's the sad thing. That's the sad thing is he missed it. He had an opportunity to walk with the king of kings in time and in eternity. And he chose stuff. He chose stuff. I mean, sitting here right now, you're probably like, yeah, that guy's a lousy. Yeah. But when we all walk home into our stuff, we're going to go, man, it is hard. It really is hard. But the kingdom is worth it. What Jesus is saying to this man and saying to us is, I want to be your treasure. I want to be your comfort. I want to be your security. I don't want anything to take the place, take the place of the wholeness and the provision that I want to give to you. It's a challenge. Because you know what we have to do in the midst of it? With our wealth and resources and all of our stuff and gifts is we have to trust God. Because we probably won't get to see on the front end what it's going to look like. And that's hard. But I'll tell you, there's no better person to trust than God himself. And Jesus says, then follow me. Anybody watch the show Deal or No Deal? <laughs> I know it's kind of passe, you know, but uh, I've seen it a few times. It's like I can hear the heavenly version of Howie Mandel saying to this guy, when he walks away sad, Jesus just offered him the best deal in the world. Stuff you can't keep for a gift you can't lose. And he said, no, 
I just, I, just, I just hear the angels saying, he made a very bad deal. Jim Elliott, I quote him all the time. He's one of my favorites. Missionary in the, in the 1950s. Says, he is no fool. This was in his journal found after he was killed as a martyr, giving the gospel to Indians in South America. Says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, the wisest person in the world willingly, by faith, gives away what we know we can't keep in order to gain what can never be taken from us. The reality of intimacy with Jesus. The kingdom of God. Again, I'm not talking about giving your way to salvation or earning your way to salvation. I'm talking about the fullness of the kingdom of God in your life and just the possibility that something is there and it's hindering your ability to follow Jesus. You're trying to carry something through the gate and Jesus says, I want you to get rid of that. I want you to put that aside. He wants to be your great treasure. Interesting, at the very beginning of this passage, the very first line of this passage, Jesus was about to go on a journey, and this man comes up to Jesus. Did you notice that part? Jesus didn't pursue this man, this rich man. It wasn't like Jesus was walking around going, oh, rich guy, I'm going to get this one. He didn't do that. No, this man came to Jesus. And he had a sincere question. I, I mean, I think his... His concept was a little messy and his heart was a little impure. Okay, that's us, right? But he comes to Jesus and said, what am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? And it's like, I think he walked up to Jesus and he probably had the answer to his question in his back pocket. And Jesus gave him a different answer. Do we ever come to God and ask him a question about something that's dear to us in our own lives with the answer we want to hear in our back pocket? And then when Jesus says to us, here's the real answer, we walk away sad. We walk away sad because what we're really saying is, Jesus, I really want to know what you want. Just don't touch this one thing. And what's Jesus, omniscient, all-powerful, going to do? He's going right after it. And Jesus is going to say to us, oh, yeah, that's all good. But this one thing, just this one thing, just this thing that's most dear to you. I'm not saying that every time we come to God, he's going to rip our joy out of our lives. That's not the heart of God. That's not love. That's vindictiveness. And that's not our father. But if we're going to be truly loving, humble, joy-filled children of God who access the kingdom by faith, we're actually going to have to open up our lives and say, God, whatever you want. It's all yours. No holds barred. That's the heart of someone that God gives the kingdom to. God gives the kingdom to. If we listen to the voice of God, he'll invite us into the glorious impossible. (laughs) That's what he'll do. Later in the verse, it says, you know, the, the disciples are like, man, that guy doesn't get in. That guy doesn't get you. That guy doesn't get to follow. It's that hard. We're sunk. Who can be saved? That's what the disciples say. And Jesus' response to them is, With God, all things are possible. So Jesus is consistently coming to us as his people, as his beloved. And he's inviting us into the glorious impossible. All we have to do is tell him everything belongs to him. And then he dumps his power in us. And I recognize that it even takes God 
to practice self-denial. It takes God to love God. It takes God to know God. We're utterly dependent upon him. But man, I just think he, I just think he longs for the moment in each of our lives. That one-time declaration and those million decisions daily afterwards where we say, it's all yours. It's all yours. Why don't you stand up and let's prepare for communion. Let me pray for us. Communion servers can come forward. Lord God, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is present. And I ask in the name of Jesus that that spirit would put a point this morning on these words. Lord, I ask that your words would remain and my words would fall away. That your passion would infuse each heart. That my emotion would have no impact. Lord, that your truth would reveal all things. And we wouldn't trust in the wisdom of man. And I ask, Lord, that you give us grace now. Give us grace. Increase our faith, Lord. To open our hearts, our lives, our wealth, our resources, our gifting, our status our little pet views of you, all that you've given us, and say, God, it's all yours. Touch every part. Rule and reign over every area of my life. Jesus, we do by faith proclaim that you are the King of kings, that you gave everything for us. I just ask for grace to give it all back and to live as kingdom people. And Lord, let the kingdom not just come upon us for our own sake, but go through us for the sake of the world, who needs desperately to know your love for them. I had this uh, worship just of, uh, if you, I can't remember the chapter in Acts, when Peter is in prison and an angel comes and delivers him and there's two chains on either end, but God's like, hey, you know, this angel says, get up and let's go. And follow me out of this. But I just get a sense too, you know, it's just one person, but there's a place where God wants to, uh, there's a level for, there's faith for you here you know your heart's been stirred and the Lord's calling you out of a prison he's calling you out of a prison to, to just encounter the next place with the Lord and the, the chains are going to fall off today and you've, I don't know how you want to respond but um, just you know come forward in prayer or get some people to pray for you so okay. thanks and um, I, my guess is that um, there are uh, some people here this morning who walked in this morning because you're looking for God but you really don't know how to find him you're longing for God, but you've never had an encounter with his, his son, Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you want a relationship with God, but you just don't know what that looks like, I think there are some here that for the first time, this is the invitation of God into the kingdom of God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. The blameless one who took all the blame that really we deserved, all the shame, all the, all the pain, he took it for us. And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to exchange his holiness for your sin, then this is your invitation this morning. So I wonder if there is anyone here who has never before given their life to Christ, never entered into a relationship with God, never asked Jesus to come in and forgive your sin and to give you life now and for eternity. I'm just going to be bold. Is there anyone here that that knows I've never done that and I want to do that today? I won't embarrass you but I would like to pray for you but if that's you would you just raise your hand I'd like to know if there's anyone here this morning anybody 
is so good to us. So good to us to give us what we don't deserve. His mercy, His grace, and His love. You just would uh, walk away with these two questions this morning. Will you let Jesus talk to you in His love about your money and resources? Again, not my words. But will you let Him speak to you about what He's given you? And will you by faith freely choose to let the kingdom of God touch every area of your life today? Maybe there's that one area that you just know God's talking about. Today's a day. It's a day of freedom. It's a day to say, God, you can have that one thing I've been holding back. So why don't you stand up? I'll pray for us. The ministry team could come forward. Prayers. Father, thank you for your goodness displayed here today. For the gold in this room. For your love extended towards your people. And Lord, I thank you for your words extended from your heart of love. That you just want our all. As you've given your all to us. Lord, I pray for people to live in joyful abandon before you. Let the kingdom of God come upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.